Our Bibles now to the book of Malachi. So if you have your copy of the scriptures with you, would you turn with me to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi and chapter 3, please. Malachi chapter 3, and we're looking at the last three verses of this chapter from verse 16 through to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who who does not serve him. Please keep your Bibles open there. Well, back in 1966, the World Cup was getting ready to be played. The Football World Cup was getting ready to be played. And on display was the FIFA Jules Rimmett Trophy. And it was, uh, of course, a, a famous Football Cup that had been in uh, service, I think, for something like 30 years. I think I'm right in saying up to that point uh, for the FIFA football matches uh, and the prize winners. But that, uh, in the run-up to the uh, World Cup, the Jules Rimmett Trophy was stolen. And it was a, a, a big loss. It was actually stolen again in 1983. And it hasn't been seen since. So, Paul, you've got to give it back, okay? So, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, what was interesting about the 1966 event uh, was that there were other uh, exhibits on display at the time which were worth far more. There were some stamp exhibits that were valued at three million pounds. But they were left untouched. Because what was valued was this particular cup. Now, I use that as an opening illustration because tonight I want to talk to you about what God values, what God delights in. And the Lord delights in his people. And we may not look like much to the world. There may be others who look better than us and uh, are more glamorous and attractive to, to look at than us. But the Lord delights in his people. And that's what these verses uh, towards the end of the Old Testament are teaching us. They come from the book of Malachi, which is a little book that most Christians don't get into. It's one of the uh, writing prophets of the post-exile. So the, the people of Israel had been away in captivity in Babylon, and then they came back to the promised land where they resettled. And in that time, God raised up three minor prophets to minister to the people of Israel. They're the last three minor prophets, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, 
and Malachi. Haggai and Zechariah ministered in the days when the temple was being rebuilt and they encouraged the rebuilding of the temple. But Malachi was written uh, sometime later. And Malachi was written in the days of Nehemiah. Do you remember Nehemiah, the man who helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Well, he had that special uh, permission to leave Persia where he was the king's cupbearer and he came to the land of Israel and he was leading the work in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He did that with the people under God's power and help in 52 days, we read. It was miraculous. But then Nehemiah also set about re-establishing the infrastructure of the uh, of the people of Judah and especially the role of the priests and so on and when he got everything all back running again he was then obliged to go back to Persia to take up his job again as the king's cupbearer and he was away for a number of years Then after some time, Nehemiah made a return back to Judah to see how things were going. And when he came back, he just about wept (laughs) because he found that a lot of the things he had re-established had fallen apart and people had started neglecting and doing things wrong. Especially was uh, neglected was the support of the priests through the tithing. And uh, sadly, the priests had become corrupt as we read in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, there were many other things that were going wrong. The people were marrying the people of the land again, and so on. And it was at this time that Nehemiah, as he was trying to make reforms again, that Malachi wrote his prophecy. And his prophecy is a sort of question and answer type layout where God addresses these things that were wrong in that last period of time. Uh, in the Old Testament story. And in this you have God's discussion with the prophet Malachi as a representative of the people. And the Lord speaks and the people are given words to reply. And here we see a part where God is speaking again. And the value of this passage is he shows us in contrast to all those people who have, who have turned away from God's true ways are a people who still want to be faithful to the Lord. They still want to walk with him. We'd call this the remnant. You know, have you ever heard that phrase, the remnant? I always used to wonder, what does that mean? Well, I didn't realise what it means. It just means those who are left. You know, when you're talking about football again, uh, when I was at school, they were picking teams. I was always the remnant. I was always the one that nobody wanted on their team. I was the boy who was left. And, oh, you have Ikin as well. And uh, that was uh, the the way it went. But the, the remnant are the people who were staying true to the Lord. And they were a very small group, but they were faithful to the Lord. And the Lord delights in his faithful remnant. In every age in the history of the church and in the history of the Old Testament, the Lord has had a faithful remnant. Whether it was Noah in the days before the flood or Simeon and Anna in the days when Christ came and and the few remnant then, so he had in the days of Malachi. And he has a remnant today. His people who love him and have trusted Christ for their salvation and are resting in him. And they are the Lord's delight. And I want us to see tonight the ways in which God delights in his people. Because this will bless us to see this. You know, Warren Wisby has a little phrase. (coughs) 
<coughs> that says outlook will determine outcome. And your outlook on, on life will determine a lot about your outcome of life and how things go with you. How you view yourself will determine how you live. Do you realise if you are one of the Lord's people, you are the apple of his eye and he has delight in you. Well, let's see what the Lord delights in uh, about his people from this passage of scripture. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a little drink. (coughs) And I want us to see tonight uh, just three or four things. First of all, the Lord delights in their conversation. Did you notice this verse here, verse 16, where it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Now, I've loved this uh, uh, verse ever since I read it. To me, this really touches me. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. You know, there was a lot of people who were talking down God and talking down the Bible and the things of God at this time. If you look earlier on in the verses before, in verses 13 and 14... We'll see how the Lord raises this issue with the people of Israel. He says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance or that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. And that's what people were saying in those days. Uh, the people of Judah, who were supposed to be the people of God, they were saying, what good is it to serve God? Look, look, you're better off being a non-Christian. They do better than we do. And that's what they were saying. But the remnant weren't talking like that. The remnant feared the Lord. They honoured God. And they spoke to one another about the Lord. No doubt they weren't very many of them. Uh, they were a few in number. But they took the opportunity when they saw a fellow believer to talk about the Lord and share about him. When they had meals together, they would discuss the things they were learning in the Bible. When they came together for worship, they would share thoughts from the scriptures together to strengthen each other's faith and to build each other up in the word as we've tried to do today here at chapel. They feared the Lord. And they spoke to one another. And do you know what it says next? It says, and the Lord listened and heard them. I just get such a buzz out of that. You know, the Lord listened to their conversation. It's like, you know, there's a, a, your ears prick up when you hear your own name mentioned, doesn't it? You know, you can be in a crowded room uh, that's full of noise and two things will grab your attention. One, if, if someone drops some money... You ever drop a coin in the middle of the street, doesn't matter how busy it is, everyone will turn around to see because everybody's interested in money. But the other thing is your own name. You hear your name mentioned, you say, who's talking about me? What are they saying about me? And you know, our God in heaven is a bit like that. When he hears his name being mentioned, he leans in, as it were, to listen. What are they saying about me? And he's listening to the conversations between the people who fear him and love him. And he loves to listen to what is said. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, the Bible tells us that God does listen to our speech. 
In Exodus chapter 16, four times uh, the Lord told the children of Israel in the passage about the manna. He said, I've heard you grumbling four times. He says this, I've heard you complaining. I've heard you complaining four times in about seven verses in Exodus 16. We remember that story in Numbers chapter 12. Do you remember when Moses' uh, brother and sister Aaron and Miriam were talking about Moses? And they said it wasn't just Moses who brought the people of Israel out. It was us too. And God heard them speak. And God came down and said, oh, you too. <laughs> like a father, come here. And he called Moses and Moses and Aaron, Aaron and Miriam to the tent. And God exposed the fact that he had heard what they'd said. And he put that matter right. God listened and he heard. Do you remember in John 20? When uh, the disciples were met in the upper room, then they said to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. He's risen. And Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I put my finger in the nail marks in his hand and put it in the side. I won't believe it. Now, the Lord wasn't physically present with them at that time, but he heard what Thomas said. And eight days later, the Lord appeared in the upper room and he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your hand here. He had heard every word that was spoken. The Lord does listen to our conversation. And he takes delight when our conversation is about him. Somebody has said that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's scripture, isn't it? And uh, somebody put it like this. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So if the Lord is down in the well of your heart, if, if your heart is full of the love and delight in the Lord, it'll come up in your conversation. It'll come up in your speech. And you will share with your brothers and sisters things about the Lord. You know, we British love to talk about the weather, don't we? Uh, it's our national pastime. But it only lasts the day. But you know, when we talk about the Lord, the Lord leans in. You hear somebody say, oh, the Lord was so good to me. I had a wonderful answer to prayer today. And somebody shares something. The Lord listens to that. And he hears. When we come together for our prayer meeting, we delight ourselves in the things that God is doing among us. He's there too, listening and hearing. He hears our conversation. I want to inspire you tonight to talk about the Lord. Yes, to gossip the gospel to the lost, to tell others the good news of salvation. That's how John Bunyan was converted. He was walking down one of these little alleys down the back of the houses and he overheard some ladies talking about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as they were doing their washing together in the, in the backyard. And he thought, these ladies know more about salvation than I do. And he listened to them. And through listening to their conversation about salvation, he became a Christian. Gossip the gospel by all means. But listen, talk as well when you come to the Lord uh, about him to each other. And seek to build up each other's faith. I read this great story. This will make you smile. Okay, This came out of a, a little booklet. The owner of a small foreign car had begun to irritate his friends by bragging incessantly about his car's mileage. So they devised a plan to bring his boasts to an end. Every day, one of them would secretly pour a few gallons of gas into the car's tank. Soon the braggart was boasting of getting as much as 90 miles per gallon. 
The pranksters enjoyed watching his exasperation as he tried to convince people of the truthfulness of his claims. It was even more fun to see his reaction when they stopped refilling the tank. The poor fellow couldn't figure out what had happened to his car. (laughs) Well, you know, that guy couldn't help bragging about something. He was thrilled about how many miles to the gallon. And, you know, we're all like that, aren't we? You know, we got something we want to talk about, something that interests us. You know, surely if the Lord is in our hearts, we want to speak about him. The Lord delights in his people's conversation in this way. So let's be those who talk much about the Lord. But you know what? He doesn't just delight in our conversation. He delights in their meditation as well. They're thinking about him. Look what it says in the next part of verse 16. It says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Now, this verse here talks about a book of remembrance. And a book of remembrance was something that was known in the days of Nehemiah. Because you remember uh, the Persian kings, uh, the king uh, Ahasuerus, who was the king in the days of Esther. You remember the night um, he couldn't sleep. Uh, was the turning point in the story of Esther. He said, bring me, the, bring me the books of remembrance, bring me the scrolls. And he had read to him all the deeds done that he had done and things that people had done for him, including, then it turned out, what Mordecai had done. That was a book of remembrance uh, that was read to him. And God has a book of remembrance as well. Did you know that? In Acts, Acts chapter 10, We read about Cornelius, who uh, was a Gentile soldier from Italy who wanted to seek the Lord. And uh, he was a devout man. He was seeking God. He was giving alms gifts. He was given uh, uh, financial gifts. And he was praying to God regularly. He didn't know the Lord yet as his saviour, but he was acting on the light he had. And he was seeking the Lord, earnestly wanting to know uh, more light and more truth from God. And you know what it says? An angel came from heaven and said, Cornelius, your gifts have come up for remembrance before the Lord. Now that's not telling us we can earn our way into heaven, but it tells us God remembers the things we've done. And God has a book of remembrance in heaven. Uh, We read in the Psalms how he remembers our tears as well. And that's something to take comfort in. But in this book of remembrance, we read here that God has written those who fear the Lord. That's those who talked about him, but also those who meditate on his name. That's the last bit there. Those who meditate on his name, those who think about him. And this is a beautiful thing, isn't it? What does it mean to meditate? What does it mean to think? If you ask uh, uh, a Buddhist, he'll tell you to do yoga means to empty your mind. Of all these things. That's how they think of as meditation. Let me tell you that's false teaching. You should stay away from it. No Christian should be doing yoga. The book of Corinthians said. Can we drink the cup of the Lord. And the cup of demons. And not make him jealous. Can't play around with false religion. Uh, We shouldn't do that. But that's what they interpret meditation as. They're wrong. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind. 
is thinking on the things of God. The word meditation, as I said last week in a sermon, is a, in our English word is a Latin word, and it means to rehearse something. To turn it over in your mind. To think of something. Do you ever have that situation where you have an argument with someone. And then you're you're thinking about it afterwards. And it's rehearsing over and over in your mind. And if you're like me. You think about all the things you wish you could have said. (laughs) The things you wish you'd remembered. uh, Or the things. The clever answers. The comebacks that you'd wish you'd had. You rehearse it in your mind. Well that's what we should be doing. With the things of God. And this is what those who the Lord delights in uh, do. They meditate on his name. The great Bible teacher Campbell Morgan. Who uh, was the minister of Westminster Chapel. Before Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote of this. And he said these words on the matter. He said quite literally. This word to meditate means to take an inventory. You know, when, like when you're stock taking in a shop. Quite literally, it means to take an inventory. These people thought upon the name. They were taking an inventory of their wealth in the name. The kings of Israel had gone. The priests were corrupt. The prophets were silent. But they still had the name. To them, that name was Jehovah and they meditated on God's name now what beautiful things we can learn by thinking about the Lord's name you know the Lord's names are are beautiful aren't they so many names and I would say this to you this is a, a little exercise every single one of us in this room can do to start us in this if we're not used to it is when you go for a walk maybe when you're walking to school or you're on a car journey or something like that try doing an A to Z Of all the names of God you can think of in the Bible. Or if you can't think of a name for him. Think of a description of him. From A to Z. Think of A. Adonai. I'll get you started off. Okay, It's a a name for God. It means the Lord. Uh, uh, B. You know. The Lord is my banner. It says. You know. In in the book of Exodus. uh, And so on. C. Christ. You get the idea. It. You may not be able to do every letter in the alphabet, but it'll start you thinking about those names. Start you turning them over in your mind. Think of those precious names that we remember of the Lord at Christmas time. You know, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, my favourite story that I use about that was of a, uh, a man who my pastor knew when I was growing up. And uh, this man was a personal friend of Prince Charles. And this man had been hit on financial troubles and was, was, uh, uh, he'd been in school with Prince Charles. And, and Prince Charles had written this man a cheque to cover all his debts and put him in a good place again. Yet when my pastor went to see him, This check was in a frame on the wall. And he said, that money could get you out of problems. Why why don't you bank that? And he said, look, that's a check from Prince Charles. You won't get one of those again. (laughs) Now, Prince Charles didn't give it to him just to put it on his wall. He gave it to him to bank because it would do him good. And yet, you know what, those names that we have at Christmas, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, we put them on our cards, we put them up on the wall, we put them on our decorations, 
God doesn't just want us to decorate our houses with them. He wants us to bank them as it were. He wants us to to benefit from them. And remember, Christ is our wonderful counsellor we can turn to. He is the mighty God we can put our trust in. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And find comfort by meditating on his name. And you know what? Just as some of you take notes when the sermon is given, so God takes notes when you think of him. And he will write your name in his book of remembrance. Charles Spurgeon said this. That is a very precious expression. You cannot perhaps speak much for the Lord. Yet you think the more about him. And God remembers those who think upon his name. And he thinks very highly of them. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful thing to remember? Uh, God delights in his remnant. Who meditate on his name. Do you put the things of God in your mind? Or do you neglect them? Take these things and turn them over in your mind to grow in the Lord. Thirdly, the Lord delights in their sanctification. Verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels. Uh, I heard about a man who said that his wife had been leaving uh, catalogues of jewellery all over the house. And it was her birthday coming up. And he said, he said, not every man understands a woman, but he said, I understood the message. He said, and when it was her birthday, I bought her a magazine rack. <laughs> now, that wasn't the point, obviously. She was thinking about jewels. And diamonds are a a, a girl's best friend, says the saying. Well, jewels have always been precious, haven't they? And in the Bible, it's interesting to see how uh, cut stones were a part of God's creation, even way back to the first Garden of Eden, if you read in the book of Ezekiel, uh, which is a very interesting thing. And people have treasured jewels ever since and the value of cut stones. We remember the, the story of the parable that the Lord Jesus told of the merchant man who sold everything he had to buy that one precious pearl. And a precious stone is worth a lot to people. But there are some jewels that are my special jewels. You know, I'm sure the royal family have hundreds and hundreds of jewels. But then there's the crown jewel. <laughs> that's something else again isn't it you know the crown jewels and this is what God is saying that we are to him we are his treasured people and you know in scripture God uses that description many times over he says in Exodus chapter 19 that Israel is his peculiar treasure his special treasure it comes up again in the book of Deuteronomy a number of times and uh, he says you are my jewels, my precious jewels. And this is a a description of how much God loves us. But you know, it's also an illustration of how much God has worked on us. Because a jewel is something that's cut, and it's cut from the earth. It's fascinating, isn't it, to, to read about the precious stones. Do you know I've been reading just recently about one of, I think it's the fifth most precious stone in the world. It's called Tanzanite. And Tanzanite, found in Tanzania, hence the name, was discovered by the Maasai, you know, those tribal warriors. 
And they found it in the earth. It's a blue stone. And do you know how it gets blue? This, this diamond looks like a diamond, but it's actually a sort of blue stone. It's created partly by natural events, uh, by, the forest, by the fires that get started when lightning strikes out in the bush. And it creates a fire and it burns and scorches the ground. It makes the tanzanite go blue. And this is why it's so rare and precious. Tanzanite is worth a fortune. It's the fifth most precious stone in the world. But it's, it's not naturally like that. It has to be made like that. I've read of uh, 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 diamonds that have been cut. And they say if a diamond is too big, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> because diamonds are only really pure when they're small. Uh, the bigger the diamond, the more chance there is there's something wrong with it. They have to be cut to be prepared. Sometimes they, they make uh, jewels precious by heating them. And heat is one of the things they use to, to bring out the, the color and the beauty. You know, I see in that a picture of sometimes the things the Lord allows us to go through when he makes his people his precious jewels. Sometimes he allows us to go through a lot of things, doesn't he? I think, God, why are you allowing me to go through all this? Why, why are these bad things happening in my life? What you don't realize is God is coloring you. And he's making you beautiful in his sight. And the things that we go through are sometimes God's task to help make us his precious cut jewels, his precious, precious uh, things. He's in the process of restoring the likeness of Christ in us. The early church leader Athanasius used to say that mankind is like a portrait, a picture. Imagine if you have a picture uh, of a man. Say uh, we were to paint a picture of our brother Chris tonight. And I was a good artist and I painted a beautiful picture of Chris. You know, we'd have to get his good side, of course. But uh, I don't know which side that is, Chris. But (laughs) uh, we would do this picture of, of Chris. We'd hang it up somewhere. But imagine, you know, it got damaged. There was a flood or something and it got damaged. Well, what would you do then? Well, you could scrap it or you could get Chris to sit for it again and get the artist to paint it again and bring out its glory again. That's what Athanasius said is happening in the Christian. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden and the image of God was lost, but God is restoring it in our Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his work in our lives as we trust in him. He's making us more like the Lord Jesus. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Can't you see him putting his arms around us and saying they're mine on the day that I make them my jewels. So dear friends, don't be upset when God uh, allows difficult things sometimes to happen in your life. He is making you more like Christ. Read Romans chapter 8 and read his plan for this in your life. Allow him to take you higher. I heard about a pilot, a jet pilot who was uh, in, uh, the, in the Gulf. Uh, and uh, he, something had happened. He was flying his, his plane. And as he was playing, he could hear this scratching noise. And he realized a desert rat had got in his plane. Now, he was worried about that if it if it ate through an uh, electric cable, his plane would stop functioning in some way. Or perhaps it would cut through uh, a fuel cable, he'd lose power and something. And he thought, I have got to deal with this rat. 
and he could hear it and he was worried and he thought there's nowhere to land what am I going to do and he had this great idea he put the plane into a steep climb and with all the thrust he could muster he pushed the plane up 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 and the scratching stopped because as he went high of course the rat couldn't live in that altitude and it died and his plane was saved. You know what? That's a picture for us. As we go higher in the Lord, the things of this world fall away, don't they? The things that drag us down, we're instead given victory over sin as we come closer to the Lord. So let him make you one of his precious jewels. Finally, he is, we are his delight because of our salvation. And this is the last part that he comes to in verses 17 and 18. And as he talks about his people in verse 17, he says, And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And here he comes on to talk about their salvation and how he is going to save them but not save the wicked. Now, what time is this talking about when God talks about sparing them from something? Well, if we come into chapter 4, we see the answer to that. Because the, the passage flows on. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. And uh, he's talking about the day of judgment that's coming, and in particular, I believe, the tribulation period at the end of time. But the point is this, at that time, God will make a distinction between those who are his people and those who are not. Those who are his people will be spared his judgment, as a man would spare his own son who serves him. You know, if you were a, a military commander and you had to send some men into a charge in the, to go and storm a, 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 a front-line position and your son was in the troops, would you, would you say, oh, great, I know, I'll put my boy in the front line? You'd say, oh, no, he's my boy. I want to protect him. And you would make a distinction. This is what God is saying. As you would spare your own son who serves you, that's how God says, I'm going to save those who are my people and he says this will be the time when uh, everyone will see what it means to belong to the Lord then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him because we will see then that it does it is uh, the best thing to belong to the Lord that little remnant in Malachi's day they made a fell what's they might have felt that everybody was laughing and what's the point in serving the Lord? What's the point in belonging to the Lord? Well, it'll become very clear on the day of judgment. And then everyone will wish they belonged to the Lord. Salvation is the last thing that God delights in for us. Do you know how you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by finding out what someone else will pay for it. As I was researching the part about precious stones, I started researching some articles I'd cut out of a, a magazine some years ago and put aside. And it was about jadeite. And I didn't know this, but jadeite is apparently the most treasure-worthy gem on the planet today. And uh, back in 2001, 
in, an, in a Christie's auction in Hong Kong. Uh, an anonymous collector paid £6 million for a necklace of carved jadeite stone. You look at that and you'd say, a little bluey, greeny stone, what's that worth? It was worth £6 million because that's what someone was willing to pay for it. What are you worth? You're worth what God was willing to pay for you. He was willing to pay his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for your salvation. To make you his. To say, they shall be mine. And that's how much he values you. I hope you value your own soul that much as well. Leon Bloy was once the world's greatest gambler. And in a newspaper article, they asked him the secret. They said, what is the secret of being the world's greatest gambler? And you know what he said? He said, never gamble what you can't afford to lose. That's the secret of being the world's greatest gambler. I want to say this to you. Don't gamble your soul. You cannot afford to lose your soul. You need salvation. And you can only have that through the Lord Jesus Christ. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And you will become part of those precious jewels to the Lord. Part of his precious remnant who delight in him and are thankful for him and what he has done. You will delight in him and he will delight in you. May this encourage us tonight as we remember these things.